1: Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday. Free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. We've got a stellar lineup today, and my first guest has been to the Luck on Sunday studio before. But today, I'm delighted to say I get the chance to talk to him in a little bit more depth about what has been a tremendous career. He was at Newcastle yesterday. He's still hungry for rides, hungry as ever for success, and has been associated with some of the great horses of the last couple of decades Imperial Commander, the Gold Cup winner, and the hugely popular cue card. He is, of course, Paddy Brennan. Paddy, good morning.
2: Morning Nick, how are
1: you? I'm extremely well, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. And things going extremely well, now the association with Fergal O'Brien is really bearing fruit with the new stable and tonnes of winners. You look like you're enjoying it as much as ever.
2: Ah uh, yeah, look, you, you, you always wanted um when you've tasted success like I have over the years, you, you just you're just hoping that them days come back and I feel with this new yard, I can see doors opening that probably I haven't seen for a while. But have you ever really had a dip? I mean,
1: from the outside it looks as though your career has been a a career of solid success for the last couple of decades. But the way you're smiling makes me think you don't think that.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Look, you, you know, I've been lucky um, with injury. I've been fortunate. But yeah, you're, you're deep down. You're always looking for that that one horse and the big days. Like you're, you're always in awe of jockeys that have big days. Like yesterday, you still want to win Hennessy's. You still want to win Gold Cups. You've, you've been to the party and you definitely want to go back. When was your first real taste of the big time? <sighs> uh, I suppose Ashley Brooke come back many years I feel old now but um, he he was a lucky not to win an Arkell and I, I remember walking the track that day with Timmy Murphy going back years and I remember we were walking down the hill and we were looking into Cheltenham and he said to me, he actually beat me in the race but he said about riding the race not the occasion and then I just I got goosebumps listening oh. to that and that's when I started to realize that something big was about to happen in my career
1: Ashley Brooke was trained by by Kevin Bishop and it yeah. was a great story as well wasn't it because it was a, a small trainer his flagship horse you were on the up brave swashbuckling young rider were they good times
2: yeah, the best yeah the best oh, to like they were such great days I was I was at a wedding recently and um, I met Philip Hobbs was there and I sort of went over to my, my wife when I said, like, being with you was the best days of my life. Being champion conditional, riding Ashley Brook, I didn't have a care in the world then. Uh, I'm not saying I have a care in the world now, but I have three kids, <laughs> a, a beautiful wife, and... Um, it, it's... There's it more responsibility, but, you know, the them days, there wasn't a care in the world. But you were considered to be quite wild in those days, weren't you? Yeah, I was crazy. Still am now.
1: <laughs> you, you, you always come across as being quite sensible now, relatively speaking, but you were quite wired in, in the early days, from what I can remember.
2: Yeah, I suppose I was highly strung. Um, Look, I am, I am who I am a little bit. I still get far too excited now and just that kick of a winner, but that's who I am. I absolutely love it, honestly. That, that feeling of winning is incredible. Were you always ambitious as a child? Yeah, I suppose I was. Um, yeah, growing up in Ireland, I was had a great upbringing by my parents, and um, there was there was a couple of tough times, and I think that gave me a bit of drive, you know, and sort of said to my mum my one day, oh, "I'm going to be famous," or "I want to be famous," and she laughed, but I just got a bit of drive. And I remember even back then, when I was a young kid, I, I wanted to, I wanted to be big.
1: You say there were a couple of tough times. Was that during your your childhood, your upbringing?
2: Yeah, it's just 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 to, to like. In Ireland, it was tough at times farming. We had a bit of a dip on the farm, and my dad was would have needed a bit of help. And it was just, I, I got so much drive from that. And yeah, that helped me being as ambitious and probably as crazy as I am.
1: Because you saw them having to really work yeah, for it, really strive for it.
2: Exactly, I, I like on the farm one day, the cows tested positive with uh, TB or whatever it was. and I remember mm-hmm. like 10 lorries turning up to take them away, and that was horrendous. Like it was just, How oh. old were you then? I was probably 11, but I could just picture my dad, the image of him. and geez, I just wanted to get my sleeves up and work 24 hours for the rest of my life to help him. When did you know you were
1: good at riding horses?
2: Nick, I still honestly don't think I'm that good at riding horse today, and that's genuine. I, I always fight, find I'm fighting the battle to be the best, to be, compete with the best. I, I don't, I've never thought I was that good. I have to work on every single thing I do.
1: But there must have been something in you that thought that being a jockey was a viable career opportunity.
2: Yeah, it's the love of horses. It's the love of animals. Um, It's the kick, you know, the adrenaline kick. When you go out in a race, it's an adrenaline. You're free. You know, The person leads you up and they say, best of luck. And for that next five minutes, not a care in the world. You're just out there. It's crazy stuff. Anything can happen, but I love it.
1: So has anything changed in that regard since the first ride you had to now or is that feeling exactly the same every time you get let loose on the race course?
2: Yeah, I suppose the the feeling of freedom is still there but now I love the challenge of race riding. I I love the tactics that are involved. Every day I ride I've I've got part of Ruby Walsh in my head everywhere I go. I just love the way he operated, I just love the fractions, I'll be counting and I'm always thinking and I'm waiting. just trying to get it right. Love the saying of, you know, I ride to win. I, I don't ride not to lose. And I, and I learned that from Ruby. I think he's the best jockey tactically I've ever ridden against.
1: You spent a bit of time with him early on in your career, didn't you? When he was, he was riding for Paul Nichols as, as first jockey. And you were sort of in that neck yeah. of the woods and riding yeah. a little bit
2: there. Look, I spent time with him. I, I, I worshipped him. and um, I felt he had me in a race one day at Haydock on Imperial Commander when he won on Kero Star. There was, there was he was just he had me that day and he took I felt like he took my boots off and I thought, that's never gonna happen again. And I and I learned so much from him that day and you know, great jockeys is it's brilliant. You just you, you never stop learning. I remember Mick Canan towards the end of his career said he was still learning and mm-hmm. I get that. It's just it's just a brilliant game.
1: But that day, the Betfair Chase you're talking about, Corto Star was in his pump. He yeah. was invincible, unbeatable. Yeah. The only people who believed that that horse could be beaten were you and Nigel Twist and Davis. And Imperial Commander got within that of him. Yeah. But that wasn't
2: good enough for you, was it? No. That heart sunk. I remember going by the line. Ruby said, "Well done." He thought he was nailed, and it was a photo finish. And mm. something that day, like from the sky, just stopped me punching the air, or doing something like ridiculously stupid, like I always do. And I was waiting for the photo, I was looking down the number. I was thinking, you know. Happy days, just call it out there lads, we've won this. And I promise you, they called the number, I looked down and I was like, for F sake, you know, Jesus. I was, it was like, my stomach dropped honestly.
1: And the funny thing is, I, I remember, I was, I was working the paddock for Channel 4 that day and they, they flashed up the photograph and I was convinced that you'd won.
2: Yeah. Convinced you'd yeah. won. Yeah, you know what, you get into a tight finish, head down, Bobber, did you win? You normally have an inkling, that day I thought I'd won, there's not many races I've thought i have won and I've lost. That's the race.
1: Well, there was no doubt that he won the Ryanair. There's no doubt that he also won the Cheltenham Gold Cup, and he beat Autostar and Denman in the Gold Cup. That was billed as a matchup between those two galacticos. How much did that mean to you?
2: Uh, yeah, Everton it was a very special day. I can remember, I can remember what I had for breakfast that day. Honestly, it was just Everton was smooth. I just had a great feeling about that day. And um, you know what, a horse on that day at Cheltenham, I don't think I've ever ridden a better horse to put in a better performance. He was just unbelievable and he was such an easy ride.
1: Uh, look at that. <laughs> Silencing those who believed it was a matchup between the two horses. Yeah. You were riding for a man at the time, Nigel Twiston Davis. He's a... How can I put it? He bristles, doesn't he? He yeah. bristles when he feels that, that he's not being given quite the credit he deserves or his horses aren't being quite given the credit
2: he deserves. Were you and he a good match or not? Oh yeah, they were the best days. The best, the best days, well, as, as I said, the best days were when I was in Philipovs But as I got older, he gave me confidence that you couldn't, um, you couldn't buy. He used to make me feel like I was the best, and, and I, I think he used to make me ride sort of seven or eight pound better than I was. Probably it, it was a good relationship. So why did it come to an end? He had a son who was uh, a little <laughs> bit better than me, and you know, obviously it's worked out well for Sam and Nigel now. Best of luck to them. But um, yeah, luckily for me, Fergal decided to.
0: Hip on himself. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. And welcome back to
1: Luck on Sunday. Paddy Brennan is still with me, I'm delighted to say. and He is joined by Oliver Sherwood, Jewel, Hennessy Gold Cup and Grand National winning trainer yeah. and Chris Cook from The Guardian. Good to see you both. I'm not sure he deserves a pat on the back for that. It was a long time ago. <laughs>
3: He does. <laughs> and he rode you a winner once, didn't he? 1990-something, yeah, a horse called Caribou at Market Raisin. I can remember that.
1: Fond memory's so fond that you've used him how many times since? None. Right. <laughs> you know, he's still, he's still hungry, as he was telling you before the break. <laughs>
3: it would happen. It could happen.
1: And you're still training winners at this great festival that we've just had at your local and beloved Newbury at the weekend. Severano doing the business for you on, on yeah. Friday.
3: Yeah, very happy with him. He, he did it well. Um, unfortunately, with two two fallers, but uh, he, no, he did it well with a penalty.
1: I just looking at him, he, he looks a sort of horse that could actually be pretty exciting in time.
3: Yeah, he disappointed me last year, but we found out he had ulcers and everything, and he was not. He, I mean, he literally never stopped growing. We actually schooled him over fences early on this season because I was toying the idea of going down that chasing route, but we thought we'd have a crack at hurdles, and he wasn't going to be near top notch. We would have gone over fences, but. I'm not saying he's going to be top notch, but he's not going to be far off at the moment. He's going the right direction. I think the um, the upping and trip has helped him. Um, so no, re- no, really pleased.
1: Um, Late Naspal was a guest on the show two or three weeks ago. He's talking about evergreen. He really is.
3: Just talking about it with Paddy beforehand. I mean, he's 42. I'm dreading the day when he retires. Uh, but I think he's a bit like Paddy. He'll go on till you yeah, forever and a day.
2: Um, but it's lovely to say that and appreciate it. I honestly think. <clears throat> he's one of the best jockeys I'm riding against at the minute in the UK and he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves but he's won two Grand Nationals and it's lovely for you to say you're dreading the day he retires because that will make him feel even better than he already is. <laughs> well it's
3: it's like a good relationship, we get on very well, he knows what I'm thinking, I know what he's thinking, I know what he's doing in a race, I can read him inside out. Um, I think that's a that's why Fergal gets on well with 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 Paddy. With all stable jockeys, you know what they're thinking.
1: And I, I know this sounds a bit obvious, but you've got an awful lot to worry about as a trainer. Manage your owners, keep your horse, horses healthy, keep the bills paid. It's one less thing you've got to worry about. If you've got the, if when if 100%. when you're on your declarations, you just go, yeah, Leighton Aspel. Absolutely, and I know,
3: I know Leighton will always go where I want him to go. There's occasionally he said, can I go there or whatever. Um, and it is. You haven't got. It must be, drive me up the wall being a flat trainer. Unless you've got a Frankie riding for you the whole time, you've got agents ringing up, and you're not concentrating on your horses. And you've got agents ringing up every five seconds, l- wanting to, you know, we're jockey to ride this horse, that horse, to It would drive me potty. So it, you're absolutely right. It's one, f- uh, yeah, one less thing to think about.
1: Could that horse ever run? Uh, c- could he potentially be your next many clouds?
3: Blimey, if I get a horse half as good as him again, I'll be a very happy man. I've had some nice horses. Clouds is the best horse I've ever trained by a country mile.
1: But would you wouldn't necessarily have identified him as being the most talented horse you'd ever trained in his early career, would you? At five uh, or six you wouldn't have said this is going to be the best horse. But I, I had ever trained. at the
3: time I had Deputy Dan and Puff and Billy yeah. were two good horses, but and I they were a bit shy weren't they? Correct. I always thought many clouds had the potential to go to the top. Did you? I always thought he'd win a decent chase. You never think, whoever you are, you always hope you're going to win a national but you never think you're going to win a national. Mm. We always thought and planned to win the Hennessy uh, which was great that it, it came off. Uh, dreams is what it's all about In planning that it worked. Uh, after that it, everything he did was a complete bonus because that was the plan. Um, so, uh, no, everyone is going the right direction, he, he's got a long way to go. but w-
1: Would he be the most promising horse in your yard or not? Yeah, probably would be at the moment. Probably would be. And I liked your mayor who won at Kempton,
3: Papagena. Yeah, and very, very appropriate because he's owned and bred by the chairman of Newby Way Schools.
1: Yes, Dominic Burke. Correct. And
3: you mentioned she might go
1: to the Stairs Hurdle. Is that- Well, listen,
3: again, it's the dream. You know, uh, We might take on Miss Lavelle at Ascot. Um, That's a very foolish Water.
1: thing to do at the moment, I think. <laughs> The The bubble's got to burst at some stage. It could be my turn (laughs) to ask it. No,
3: listen, we might, we're going to make an entry. The entry's closed on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is. Uh, So we're going to make an entry for, I don't know what should go up. Should go up £10, £12, I would think. It's sort of academic now, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the dream's there. If it came up soft, she loves soft ground Papagana. That's Papagana, not Emma Lavelle. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, if it came up soft, why not? Last year there were 17, 18 runners in the the long walk. This year, with Emma's horse running Paisley Park, there might only be seven or eight. So it's worth a show.
0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Cruel Dubai.
1: Let's have a look back at uh, yesterday's big race. It was an amazing weekend for Emma Lavelle. Uh, it's one thing having a, a stable star and keeping that stable star winning in Paisley Park, but it's quite another getting a, a support act like this to win a 24-runner Ladbrokes Trophy. This is the rash counter and a great day for young rider uh, Ben Jones. I thought he showed all the, the swash and buckle of a, a young jockey paddy.
2: Oh, yeah, look, he'd be pinching himself, but, you know, I did feel a bit for Adam Wedge last night, he he had to go to Newcastle to ride for his boss, Evan Williams, he missed out, someone's lost is someone else's gain, yeah, as I say, br- brilliant for Ben, I thought Brendan Powell gave a second a beautiful ride, you know, lovely, lovely run from him, um, the only thing I did question a bit, or I would question a little bit, was the celebration fifty yards before the Correct. line. Correct. If that was, if that was in Jim Bulger's, you were, you were, you, you were winning, but you were getting to work at four o'clock in the morning.
1: If you'd celebrated fifty yards before the line, at, at Mr. Bulger's, I don't think you'd be working there anymore, would you?
2: Yeah, I'm sure Mr. Hobbs will have a word with him about that. But um, look, that's the only thing. He, he gave it a brilliant ride, and absolutely delighted for him.
1: And uh, the horse was a, is uh, only a seven-year-old. So, his future is very much ahead of him, which is is reassuring in a sense because you want a good horse to win this race. You want a horse on the up to win it. How for the, often do you see the standing of the race? A Labrook stroke
3: Hennessy uh, winner is a second season, novice. Yeah. it's tailor made because they are still improving, mm-hmm. as you quite rightly said. Um, so, uh, the world is always to ha- whether he'll go on to get to Cheltenham status for Gold Cups is, will be. Yeah, there's a long way to see for that, but um, he's going in the right direction and he can only
2: improve. Just from a punter's perspective, I thought it was pretty interesting that the winners of both those staying handicap chases yesterday, the the Ladbrokes Trophy and the one up at Newcastle, Mm -hmm. the rehearsal, um, they both prepped with a run over hurdles the month before got stuffed, as you would expect, for a chase or running over hurdles. They were both actually a shorter price for the hurdle race than they were yesterday in the no. up winning and, and both of them had won their two previous starts in handicap chases. So, you know, I'll try and remember that system when it gets to mid-November next year.
1: I will try and remember. I won't, but I'll try. <laughs> Oliver, you were with the winning trainer last night. Uh, yes, we
3: have, we've done it for 10, 12 years now uh, courtesy of Tim Sider, uh, always after, the, after Newbury, um, Emma and Barry. Uh, were there. Barry was 201 and drifting very early on in the day that he'd even turn up.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: He did and uh, he, half-past uh, 12, 1 o'clock he was drinking cups of tea which is slightly concerning.
1: Look at that, that was the celebration last night. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Lavelle and Barry Fenton drinking tea. That's at half-past 12. Is that yeah. recovering from the night before though? Yeah, they did have a yard party the night before after Paisley Park winning so I, I'll, I'll forgive them just. So, drinking tea, working horses this morning, no rest for the wicked. Good morning and congratulations, Emma Lavelle.
5: (laughs) Good morning, Nick. Um, Yeah, definitely no rest for the wicked, but um, uh, I think we're still all in a state of shock, to be honest.
1: Well, I'm in a state of shock that you were out partying with Oliver Sherwood and drinking tea at 12 (laughs) o'clock.
5: I know. That just didn't look right, that picture. That should never have been taken.
1: (laughs) I I think it's a lovely picture and you've had an awful lot to celebrate. Um... The mood in the yard must be fantastic today.
5: Uh, just fantastic. I mean, like, like you say, uh, look, we've been to Newbury this morning working four-year-olds. And, and you know, uh, like everyone in the yard was up at six o'clock in the yard. Some were feeling better than others. But everybody was there and everyone is buzzing. Because, you know, everybody had a part to play in, in the results over the last couple of days.
1: If you've got a stable star like Paisley Park, the attendant pressure now must be quite extraordinary. What was the feeling of relief like after he won? Um, oh, it, it,
5: massive. It's funny, um, it was, I personally felt more pressure going to, to Newbury on Friday with him than I had for the, for the stay of Hurdle. Because we were, um, you know, we were on a roll last season, he was getting better from race to race and, and, and you, we, we were just really enjoying the ride. And then this time around, it was just different to try and come in and have him ready to to do himself justice for his first run of the season in a competitive-looking grade two, and um, it was just a different start point. And and I definitely um, I definitely felt the most nervous I felt, and and just yeah, pure relief afterwards. And just did you did like oh thank goodness?
1: Did you start to get that sense of public ownership now as well? So it's not just Andy who owns the horse and you that train everyone's training him. everyone's owning him.
5: Absolutely. And, and, you know, we were talking about it, um, Barry and I, and saying, you know, look at the end of the day, the pressure is there. And and, and yes, more so because you feel that everybody, um, you know, is willing him on or or is a part of the, uh, part of the process. Um, But, and then we sort of said, but at the end of the day, as much pressure as that brings, isn't it nice to be in a position to have that pressure? Mm. Now, that's what we're all after. So it's kind of just managing it and, and um, uh, it was just yeah, it was magical, magical. So,
1: so he's fine and off to the long walk?
5: He is fine and off to the long walk. Um, I suppose the only slight question mark in, in my mind is is last year the Haydock race that he won was a week earlier than this Newbury mm. race. So we've got three weeks between now and Ascot. Um, and, and I think you know he definitely had a race uh, on Friday, even though he, you know, his trademark ear pricking when he gets to the front. He definitely had a race. I just he seems fresh and well. He hasn't left a nut since the run. Um, but you know, I'm not going to go there if I don't think he's 110. Um, you know, just just Cheltenham is is Cheltenham, and that's what we're aiming for. But as we speak, the long walk is very much the plan.
1: Really, the the, the schedule presents itself after that. I, I saw the owner, Andrew Gamble, interviewed and saying he's quite keen on the idea of going to Punchestown at the end of the season. If all goes well, do you share that aspiration?
5: Yeah, definitely. And that was always the plan, um, that that we bring him in a month later to an extend his season out the other end. So if everything went the way that we expected, then then yeah, Punchestown would um, uh, I say expected hope is probably the right word, then Punchestown would, would be the you know, the the icing on the cake.
1: And Mr Sherwood's trying to uh, throw a, a roadblock in your way, I, I see it, Ascot's. Oh, I think I don't sh- think she should go to Ascot,
3: I think he's had a far too hard a race. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Can I say, Oliver, it's funny that, because her owner was suggesting the same to me last night. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Mr Sider, of course, is a, an owner of Oliver's and an owner of yours, and you've got some lovely horses for him as well, including your, your winner of, uh, of, the, uh, of the Novice Hurdle at the November meeting. How's he getting on?
5: Yeah, he's in great form. He's um he's come out of that race really well. Um he's you know, he he's he's a very um bouncy horse. He's massive little enthusiast. And um so we'll just tick him along for a little bit with the view of going for the tollworth with him next. Um and um and see, you know, he's he's a horse that I think will get further. Um but while he's doing what he's doing over two miles, there seems no point in stepping him up. So we'll see how far he can go.
1: And it seems a an oddity that I've been on the phone to you for five minutes and haven't actually mentioned the fact that you won the Ladbrokes Trophy yesterday with Darashka <laughs> Counter. Uh, we discussed the race, and, and the more you watch it, the more authoritative his win seems. Uh, did he surprise you in any way, Emma, or not?
5: Um, so, look, in in did he surprise us? We thought he was a lovely horse. He was in he was in the form of his life going there. So the question was, was he good enough? Um, and you know, he's he's shown plenty at home, and and you know we built a, a, a sort of a route to this race. This was the goal. Um, so, you know, I think it, you've got to be a bit surprised when you win a race like that because because it, it, it's such a massive race. Mm. You know, I've been going to the Hennessy probably or Labbrook as it is now for for probably the last nearly 40 years since I was very young. Obviously, before Oliver said nothing. <laughs> and. Um, and I, um, and so it, just to imagine that we could be winning a race like that, uh, it's it sort of, yeah, you have to say there's an element of surprise. But he was the right kind of horse to be having a crack at it with.
1: So what now, I suppose, is the question.
5: Um, so, look, he seems absolutely fine this morning. He's, um, you know, he's, he can be a bit like a bull in a china shop, and, and that's exactly how he was. He was desperate to get out and go and do something again. Um... Uh, so in that respect, that's great. I think we had geared up for this race. This was the absolute target, and we just didn't look past that. Yeah. That was all that was matter that mattered at the time. And I think what we'll do is see what the handicapper does um, uh, and just give him a little bit of time to get over that. I won't be in any rush to bring him back anywhere. And I think then we'll start to make plans as to what the, what the next step is. You know, is he good enough to be going down the the conditions route, or is he going to be a, a you know a, a really decent handicapper? Um, but I think we'll just we'll just let the dust settle before we start making any plans.
2: Um, Morning Emma, it's Paddy Brennan speaking. How are you? I'm good, Paddy. I'm um, well done. Um, Emma, I just my point of view on all of it is just like this success didn't happen overnight, and I think it's a credit to you and all your team for bringing these horses along so slowly. Obviously Barry's a massive part of, of your team yes. and. Is credit to you, Barry, and all your staff. Well done.
5: Oh, Petty, thank you. That means a lot. And and it is true. You know, we are very we're very lucky. We have some fantastic owners who understand that we just try and take a bit of time with them and let the horses develop and try and tell us when they're ready to go to the next step. Um, you know, Barry's been a genius with these horses, and and will give me a lot of, of steering on them as to as to where we are. And and it is we've got a. We've got just a wonderful team, a great um, head man, and um, and look, it's it's a it's a it's a very special time for all of us, and, and we're going to enjoy it.
1: Hello. you 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 absolutely Thanks. should. Um, and, and a quick word on your on your rider yesterday, Emma. Right, I know Paddy was saying it's a it was the hard lines on on Adam Wedge missing out because he was he was up at Newcastle, but um, I think everyone's on earth a bit of a superstar in Ben Jones.
5: Oh, oh definitely. Um, you know, he. I have to say, it's so right. You know, Adam has done so much work with the horse, and and you know, it, it, all credit to, to Adam in the fact that he was one of the first people to text and say, well done. Um, and um, look, Ben is uh, he's a young lad going going places. There's no doubt, and he's just got a great head on his shoulders. You know, he's he came out there a big day on a fancied horse. And you wouldn't have known the difference between whether he was coming out for that or whether he was coming out to ride in a, in a novice hurdle. You know, he's just focused, sensible, um, and, and he's brave, you know. He's, he's, um, it's probably the innocence of youth. He doesn't know what can happen on the other side of the fences. <laughs> but, you know, it was just, you know, he's, he's it, it was a big step up for him and, and, you know, I hope that that, you know, elevates him very much to the next level.
1: Emma, what a weekend. Thanks so much.
5: Not at all. Thank you. Um,
1: Emma Lavelle, who struck yesterday in the Ladbroke Trophy with the Rasha Counter and <coughs> the day before with Paisley Park, her stable start. The Rasha Counter was ridden, as Emma was saying, by Ben Jones, who's with us now. Ben, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Very well. How are you, more importantly?
6: <laughs> yeah, not too bad, thank you.
1: Still pinching yourself a little?
6: Uh, yeah, I got bruises everywhere, so um,
1: yeah, it's still, uh, still unbelievable. And when you got the call up for this ride, what level of confidence did you have going into the race? Um... Oh, like I, I was lucky
6: enough to ride him in his in his pre-run uh, over hurdles, um, and always knew he was he was a tidy, tidy horse, um, upper coming horse. So when when Dave texted me early in the week, he said oh, it's a possibility, and then when Emma rang me and said that it's, it's it's all goes, all system goes. Um, to be honest, it, it, it didn't really kick in until
1: until the picture out, and and I found found out that Newcastle was on, so. So it all worked out beautifully. Paddy Brennan sitting alongside me.
2: Yeah, morning, Ben.
1: How how are you, buddy?
2: Hi. Yeah, Ben, like it, you know it has to register what you achieved yesterday. Winning a Hennessy is, is no mean feat. My advice to you at your age is, you know, take it in, enjoy it because it's a massive achievement. I'd I I'd give Anton to win a Hennessy. I haven't done. Hopefully one day I might, but as I said, don't take it for granted. You will because it there'll be a Ladbrook. And or sorry, Ladbrook, yeah. <laughs> And Ben, just 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 um, what just a bit of a question on Philip Hobbs. How much of a, how much of a help has he been for you in your career so far?
6: a oh, massive, massive help. Um, look, all all the team at home, they're all supportive. They all bits of advice here and there. And um, to fair the governor, we we sit down pretty much after a lot of rides and, and go through a lot of races. So um, I, I definitely wouldn't be where I am now if, if it wasn't for him and and
1: the team. Well done. And Paddy, you were, uh, as you said, Philip Bob's made you champion additional.
2: Yeah, best days there, Ben. He's, you know, you know, he keeps you grounded, and, and any advice or any help he he will give you. You're you're in the right place, and as I say, the best of luck. Enjoy every second because things like this don't happen every day. And um, very well done.
1: Thank you very much, Paddy. Uh, ben, aspirations for you for the remainder of the season. How? What? What are you looking to achieve this year? Um if you were
6: to start if you would ask me that at the start of the year I, I would have would have been happy with I think i set about ten ten winners for Christmas and, and just to go from there but um I think I'm on twenty four now for the season and, <laughs> and a few nice big winners so I'm just taking each day as it comes and, and enjoying every every minute of it.
1: And and you're obviously you're, Philip Hobbs holds your holds your licence. Are you are you based down there? Are you living down in that neck of the woods? Yeah,
6: this is uh, my third season now with Mr Hobbs so um still, still
0: down here right now, uh, five days a week, so, yeah, really good. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by al basti Dubai. Morning, Nicky. Good morning, Nick. Hi. Um, thanks very much for joining us. I, first
1: things first, I mean, the, the important news concerns dare and how he is, because that was a, a freakish and nasty injury.
4: Um, it, it, honestly, the a photograph, it, it is it is just so freak, it's not possible to even think how you could do it. Um, in that he had a, as you've got it up there, it, yeah. you see there's a great wedge of wood sticking out. And that has gone in through the top of the coronet band, right underneath the hoof. And um, currently, I've just just literally spoken to APs, actually, at the surgery, but um, I'm going to go down there and see him in a minute. But um, what they've got to do is, in simple terms, it's rather like um, a a very large splinter underneath your nail. Yeah. Um, And it's very, very sore, but this is a large splinter. You can see the bulge in the hoof.
1: It's absolutely massive.
4: Yeah. Um, So they the good news is that the coffin joint, and that was what the the first main concern was, whether that had been touched or affected in any way, and it hasn't, which is actually very important. Um, So now it's just a matter of getting this um, piece of wood out from under his hoof, but they're going to have to open the hoof to let it come out. It's the only way. They're hopeful that they can do this without a general anaesthetic, Um, and then, well, then obviously it all going well and keeping it clean. It's just a matter of how long it takes for the hoof to grow back over,
1: which will undoubtedly be some considerable time. Is the is the key here infection risk? Is that the biggest I worry? I think that will have to be in it. But I mean,
4: on the other hand, with with all the technology they have mm. and, uh, and antibiotics, etc., you'd hope that, as I say, as long as the coffin joint wasn't affected, that was that was <laughs> the biggest worry. Because if that had, if infection gets in there, then you're in real danger area.
1: And would it be fair to say that you know your primary concern at the moment is simply the horse's well being? You are not looking anywhere exactly. beyond that.
4: Nobody's even talking about when what or where the only thing that is important is a to make him more comfortable he, he's obviously comfortable because he's it, 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 it's anesthetized mm. effectively it has been since last night it was anesthetized for him to, to to um to travel down um and get him to where to the you know the right hospital which is you know our own vets and they're they're brilliant and you know we know he's in safe hands. And, you know, at the moment, the, the only thing that's important is him, um, pain, to eliminate that, which is obviously, you know, he's not feeling a lot at the moment. Um, they can do the surgery standing up, which is good, because obviously general anaesthetics, is, is that can be risky as well. So, you know, if, if all goes well through the next 24 hours, then, you know, I think, you know, th- 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 we're, we're through the... The, the, the worst of it, and then it's obviously control infection, and then concentrate on 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 getting the hoof to to grow back. But obviously, by opening it up, um, you know it's going to create quite a, a a hole that's going to yeah. take quite some time to heal over.
1: In your in your professional experience, would you say that it's unlikely that we'll see him on a racecourse any anytime, anytime this season?
4: I, I think this season it might be. It is going to be a grey area. I wouldn't like to say, and I think they'd say the same thing. Yeah. For another fortnight, we probably won't know. I, th- I think this season is is probably going to be. Um, you know, we're, ne- we're never going to ask him to do something before it's ready, and and therefore I think this this season could be a, it could be pretty slim. But you know, first of all, it was obviously yeah. to, to get him back in good shape and then, you know, we'll discuss the future, the long-term future. Well, it's still, you know, if if everything goes right, there's no reason why you shouldn't.
1: Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for him and I know that was a a, a blip and a low point in an otherwise fantastic weekend for you, essentially, Uh, particularly at Newbury yesterday and I I, I smiled when Lydia asked you about epat and... Whether she might end up as a champion hurdle contender, and you look rather aghast at the time, but I kind of agreed with her. I thought, well, why not? <laughs> she was that good.
4: Well, that was probably before Booba's race. <laughs> so, so maybe, and oh. well, I mean, we're very lucky because actually, we—I mean, maybe she is. She was very impressive. Um, I mean, I know what she was beating because actually, we were lucky enough yeah. to be second and third yeah. as well. So. Um, Yes, she looked very good. I think she 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 is a two miler. Um, she's she's bags of, of, of pace and, and she travelled very sweet through the race and she got there very easily. Um, we have still got Pentland Hills yep. and Fuzzy Raffles to um, in the in the reserve tank. But well, they're not reserve because they're they're they you know they really are genuine champion hurdle contenders. I hope. Um, so maybe we've still got three, but I don't know. Um, where would Epiton run next? I'd have no idea. I'm sorry. Most of this morning's been taken up with, not surprisingly, Bouvet yeah, sure. and, and 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 his welfare. Um, I don't know. We'll have to have a look at the uh, at, um, at the opportunities really, um, and I don't know. I mean, it was it. it she it, It's to her, the internationals in a fortnight's time. Pentland Hills is going to go there.
1: Christmas Hurdle? Could she well, the pop Christmas in there?
4: Christmas Hurdle, but that, I fear, has closed. Ah. Okay. And therefore she's not in that. Might be something in Ireland for her. Why not? Uh, well, why not, yeah, exactly. Yeah, supplement her. I don't know if the Christmas Hurdle has closed.
1: Oliver Sherwood's suggesting you supplement her. <laughs> but, then, but then he's kindly spending your money for you. <laughs>
4: Well we'll, we'll, well, we'll come up with some. I say, I haven't had a chance to sort of even digest anything yet because. No, sure. I say the big boy's really been
1: uh, sort of major concern all last night and this morning. Understood. Uh, and I, I, we, we were talking about Champ earlier, and you said pretty much everything there is to say. Is the, the Dipper still the, the plan for him? That,
4: that's the plan. We'd like to go to Cheltenham for the Dipper, and then, you know, you could easily think that he wouldn't run again then if that went well then the only time you go three miles will be, come Cheltenham in March.
0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al-Basti Dubai.
1: The big news story, certainly in the Trade Daily this week, has been the um, uncovering of issues surrounding the financing of Phoenix thoroughbreds and where that finance may come from. And it was alleged in a New York courtroom in a case that uh, Phoenix Thoroughbreds and the founder of Phoenix Thoroughbreds, Amma Abdulaziz, had uh, stolen 100 million from a Ponzi scheme, so a pyramid scheme. Now, he and Phoenix Thoroughbreds and his legal team are refuting that. This is the conversation that I had with Amma Abdulaziz back in March on Luck on Sunday when I caught up with him in Dubai.
7: Uh, It took about five years of planning to be honest with you before we went live, you know. So a lot of um, um, uh, documentation, regulations, you know, business plans, uh, uh, research, market research since we decided to operate in Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, you know, that requires us to do all the research and then go into the authorities in Luxembourg, which is one of the most difficult jurisdictions to register a fund, uh, uh, convincing them, you know, to accept it and, you know, go live. so far, you know, it took a bit of time, you know, actually. And drafting the PPM, which is the Placement Memorandum Association, that takes a lot of times, lawyers and everything. You have to cover everything from A to Z, you know, the investors, you know, the risk, uh, insurances, many other stuff, you know, before you go live. And it took about five years, yeah. Because I'm not
1: sure many people really understand how different Phoenix Thurber is. This is an investment fund. This is a, a fund where you're trying to get high net worth individuals to invest in your racing and breeding empire across the globe and then the onus is on you and your team to
7: deliver them a return, Absolutely, which is not easy a lot of people say it's not easy yeah, you're absolutely right you know if you're focusing on racing it's not easy but what we're trying to do is to minimize the risk you know we've got the breeding side of it which is very important a huge amount of money went there the allocation most of it of the money went to the breeding side so now we have stallions you know everywhere between America and you know Europe and Australia we're also building our um, uh, broad base band you know and increasing it on a quarterly basis now the racing side of it is a small portion uh, uh, basically the way we had to go with racing is to promote the fund. you know we would like to give our investors the opportunity to come to the races network with uh, a lot of people open up doors for them it's not just an investment fund but also us being here from the Middle East we're trying to bring all these expat and foreigners from all over the world and say okay there are other business opportunities in Dubai as well not just the horses you know coming into the fund is like a private club we're trying to bring you here we open up doors for you. We have access to royal family member. We have access to um, um, a lot of high net worth individuals that are hungry for businesses abroad. And most of the people that we managed to bring so far to the fund are all either pension funds or insurance companies or high net worth individuals from Europe, America, and Australia.
0: Just on, on Royal Ascot last year, for example, our, our co-host there, Brittany Urton, who, who, who was there, and I think interviewed you after your success there. You know, I, I, I didn't know a huge amount about Phoenix there. Or, or about you, Amber. And, and I said to Brittany, you know, these guys what do you what do you make of these guys? You new guys on the on the racing scene? Are they serious? I think that's a question we ask when a, a new Brand comes along that wants to be as big as you are and a aim to be. Well, racing is inherently
1: sceptical of any in new completely investment. Know that. Yeah.
0: How long are they are going to be around for? Are they serious? And she uh, said, the- this is serious. These guys are serious. They want to be up there with, with Judmont, as you say, with Kulmar, with the biggest brands in racing.
7: Now, I've heard this so many times every time I go to the sale. People, like you said, you know, you know, people are always asking, you know, are these, who are these guys, you know? And are they serious? Are they going to be there next year? I can tell you now, you know, on your show, that we're here to stay
1: and the other question they always ask is well where's all the money coming from okay it doesn't matter whether it were you or any new investor from wherever they are in the world, people, in the bloodstock trade, it's always – where's the money coming from then?
7: Well, that, every time there's a new player coming into the market, you know, the industry will ask the same question. It happens again and again and all the time, you know. But for us, it's very simple. It's a fund. It's a registered fund. Transparency is very important. Anyone who has any doubt, they're more than happy to come and sit with us in our office. We can yeah. open up the world. There are regulators, There's third parties regulators, there's auditors, there's fund managers, you know, Outside Phoenix, that can be con- uh, con- um, contacted, and then they can see everything there. But we're not going to go until every we're not going to go there and answer each and every question, and everyone that come and answer a question. We have a mission, and we're focused on our mission. People can say whatever they want to say. We're here. We're here to say we have a mission. We want to build our brand, and we want to make it bigger and bigger and compete on a higher level.
0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by al basti Dubai.
1: very happy to be welcoming as my special guest this week, a man who has had a tremendous career as a trainer. 31 years he started young, but he's handled some of the best horses in Europe in that time. Most notably, the brilliant talent that was Moja, and what a wonderful racing career he had and what a legacy he left. But there was so much more to the life and training career of John Hammond and I think he surprised an awful lot of people by bringing the curtain down on it and he's gonna saddle his final runner in a few weeks John good morning and thank you very much for joining us pleasure thanks for having me. Trainers don't retire do they? they just keep going on well, and on and on.
8: You know, retire retires a big word I'm stopping training I'm not retiring I'm gonna yeah. be doing some other stuff but um, yes you know I mean I think some some in harness some kind of fizzle out and some take a view and stop and do other things.
1: And you're probably always a, a man who's Taken a view, aren't you, insofar as you've always been proactive rather than reactive to a situation?
8: Listen, i would be very lucky. It's been great. I've had a fantastic time, had some great horses. I don't think I ever intended to do it forever. Um, you know, cliche it may be, but it is a seven day a week job. And uh, life flies by us all, so there's other stuff to do, hopefully.
1: What's been the most enjoyable part of of training racehorses? What have you enjoyed the most? Without doubt, the
8: good horses. You know, it's magic when you've got a good horse, and it's it's um,
1: it's fantastic. And you were lucky enough to get good horses. It's quite early on. Just, just tell us a little bit about how training came to you, if you like. I
8: spent a lot of my childhood in Ireland, so you know, I was riding ponies, going hunting going racing in my early teens, and um,
1: got hooked on it pretty early on, really. But did you think then, yeah, this is what I want to do, did you think you wanted to be a trainer?
8: I wasn't sure, I was always terrified, to be honest with you, the idea of training, and uh, I always thought one day I could give it a go and see, and if it didn't work, you know, I'd stop and do something else, but uh, in the end, I sort of, uh, um, having spent a couple of years with Andre, I took the plunge and off I went.
1: Two years with Andre Fab. Must have been incredibly instructive. I say it must have been, was it terribly instructive?
8: It was. He was fantastic. He was very open. Um, you know, we'd go racing together and we big discussions in his car. And uh, he was my mentor. And um, we're friends now, which has been great. Um, so, yeah, no, he was a
1: big factor. Very hard sometimes to pin down what makes these. All-time greats, so great. But you'd be better positioned than most people to answer that question as regards Andre Far.
8: It's a good question. I mean, I've always said about Andre that if he wasn't training horses, he'd be running a multinational company. He's a highly intelligent man, um, extremely well organised. Um, you know, obviously got great insight with horses that goes without saying. Um, and it's you know it's always been a big pleasure to watch how he does things.
1: We don't know that much about him as a, as a person, because for all that he's very charming to us in the British media, his relationship with the French media has not, not, not always been so good. Is he by nature quite a private person?
8: Yeah, he, he probably is, but um, if you sat next to Andre at dinner, you'd have a fascinating time, and yeah. you might not even talk about horses. He's got a very great breadth of knowledge on history, politics, anything. You know, He's a, he's a very, very interesting man.
1: Given your your interest and given that you said that that training's a a seven day a week job and you can't really you can't really escape it, is that one of the driving forces for sort of shifting your emphasis a little bit, that you just don't want to give your whole life to this
8: Yes, probably um, you know it's it's uh um, it's a job of great passion and it's fascinating and I always say that I was very, you know I never woke up on Monday morning wishing it was Friday afternoon and a lot of people jobs that, that uh, make them think like that. So it's um, it's been great, but the as you know there are ups and downs, there are magical yeah. moments, there are big disappointments. Um, and you know, maybe towards the end I've become a bit too conservative in the way I trained horses, so you've got to acknowledge your
1: your faults, I think. So you, do you think you became more conservative as, as time went on? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just tell me how.
8: Well, I think you know early on in my career it was probably a, a, a strength to be patient with the good horses, um, but the good horses are relatively far, few and far between and I think probably in the end I became too conservative with the, with the average horses and that's, that's not a good thing.
1: And I suppose, because you started pretty young, didn't you? 24, 25 when you... Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah.
8: It's, been a, it's been a very quick 30 years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and by nature at that age are you quite buccaneering?
8: I think everybody is I think you I think most people are, are bigger risk takers when they're young. Um, and uh, certainly I was yeah.
1: Was it fun in the early days?
8: it was great. No it was great. I mean it was a uh, you know as I say it was you know never Monday to Friday it was there was always action always things going on and I was very fortunate to have some nice horses and um, never ever bored.
1: Why France?
8: It was just the way it panned out. I went over for a job with Andre initially. I was only going to stay a year and enjoyed it, stayed the second year. And then, you know, I just, we were going racing together one day and he said, What are your plans? Which was probably a polite way of saying your time's up. <laughs> and I said, Well, I thought I'd give it a go in France. And um, funny enough, in France, it was easier to start with a handful of horses than in England, I think. You know, you could just rent a few boxes and off you went.
1: And so the licensing process was easier, and just easier to get yourself up and you running. You didn't
8: have to have a whole yard. I just rented some boxes and um, bought some saddles, and off you went. Yeah.
1: And success came quite quickly. You, you trained for the Wildensteins very early on, didn't you?
8: Yeah, that was that was pretty short, pretty short span. <laughs> you're, you're
1: not you're not at an exclusive club there. Uh, that was in my
8: second year, and uh, I've inherited forty horses all of a sudden, so it was a Big change, and then uh, then I got sacked in September. So uh, um, yeah, that was that was a bit of a blow early on. Why did you get sacked? Uh, not enough results. And fortunately, my I had horses from my other owners that
1: were winning races, so uh, otherwise I'd have been sunk. And did you know that this was likely to be a fairly short-term arrangement, given what you've you'd seen?
8: Not really. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure I made some mistakes with the horses, but looking back, they just weren't much good, you know? And, um, as I say, fortunately, I had my other owners and my other horses that were running and winning races, so that saved me.
1: Uh, Were you good at rolling with the punches? Because you get dealt a few blows early on.
8: Just kind of carry on, don't you? I think everybody does, really.
1: And what was the first really talented horse that you had through your hands? Uh, A suave dancer, probably, yeah. And he, of course, won the won the arc for you. Mm. Uh, and how soon did you know that you had something special on your hands?
8: Probably... He just ran one to two, finished fourth, promising run. And then he won his maiden by eight lengths at three, first time out. Uh, first first start at three, I think, I think it was probably in April. So he looked pretty good then. Um, but as with all these horses, they've got to keep moving up a step. And... Um, you can, you can win your maiden easily and some go on some don't
1: what sort of a trainer have you been would you describe yourself as a, a hands-on trainer are you, a, are you are you very applied to, to taking each horse gradually through their through their learning curve yes I mean I
8: always liked uh, I was pretty rubbish at training early two-year-olds um, and I always liked horses that progressed and progressed and progressed. And uh, I loved horses with a ton of
1: foot. Uh, When you say you were rubbish at training early two-year-olds, did you try and train early two-year-olds or not?
8: Well, I did. There was a point in time when I had a couple of early two-year-old winners. But um, to be fair, it's not as big a deal in France as it is here. The racing is probably geared more towards um, two-year-olds that will run a bit further and uh, three-year-olds and four-year-olds.
1: So did the setup in France suit you, personality-wise? I think so. Yeah, I think that's a good point, yeah. Do you think that if you trained in England, you would have had the same level of success?
8: Who knows? It it all comes down with having the good horses and maybe being English in France. I was, you know, maybe easier to attract certain owners, I don't know, Mm -hmm. being slightly the odd one out. Yeah, it all comes down to the good horses. I mean, almost certainly, I wouldn't have had those the good horses that I had. I wouldn't have had them in England, no, probably not. So
1: tell me about uh, when you first clapped eyes on Longer.
8: He was always a really good-looking horse. And um, I trained his half-brother for Jimmy Goldsmith. And I remember when he... The half-brother won the first time out at two. So I called him and, you know, easy call, good news. So I said, yeah, he's, you know, well, well, Probably be a nice listed horse next year. And he was on the phone, he said, Don't worry about him, I'm watching his younger brother walk in from the paddock. He was actually at the property of Morgent at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said, This is the most amazing horse. So I know people say that about young horses, but he really, he kind of meant it. Sadly, he never got to see the horse uh, run. So, um, and then two years later, he came, I think he was a foal when probably he said that. So then he came into training back end as a yearling. Yeah.
1: He was a a very striking horse, as you say to look at, but even more striking to to watch run. Did he exhibit <laughs> all his talent to you pretty early doors?
8: Yes he you know, he always looked like a nice horse. He won his maiden first time out. But as I say they've all they've got to keep moving up, moving up and they've got to be lucky, they've got to stay free from injury and their heads have to stay on the right way and um, so, yeah, no, he just kept improving, really. He had some charisma, didn't he? He did. No, he was a cool horse. You know, he was a he had personality and uh, he had fantastic acceleration that was probably his big plus. Uh,
1: when when he really started to to turn heads and he won the the Jockey Club and the and the Irish Derby, um how much pressure did you feel or were you able to enjoy it? Um
8: I'm not sure you enjoyed as much at the time as you should do. Mm-hmm. You kind of live from day to day, and it's interesting hearing Nicky Henderson there. You know, his whole day today is going to be thinking about that splinter in uh, as foot. Yeah. So, um, uh, and when you've got a lucky enough to have a good horse, a small problem's a big problem,
1: obviously. And uh, was there a was there a day for you that that stood out more than any other in in his career that you that you were able to really Really enjoy.
8: Yeah, I mean, obviously the Ark and the and the King George. Um, King George was a funny yeah. day because he got he got a bit difficult about going to the paddock and he was at the old Ascot and we saddled him and he was walking around and uh, he wouldn't go in, just would not go in. Leader, everything, tried everything, wouldn't go in. And Didier, my head man at the time, who's retired now, he was leading him round and he had a spanking suit on, in polished shoes, tie and uh, I said right next time round and we legged him up and he rode him in in his suit and tie and smart shoes, no helmet <laughs> might be one of my probably only regrets nobody took the photo it would have been super
1: uh, you rode him from the pre-parade into yeah, the yeah, paddock? yeah yeah
8: just that was the only way you go in rode him in in his suit and tie and then in the race he, uh, he was great
0: Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by our Basti Cruel Dubai.
6: Ports will give Donica's first winner. Forever Together wins came readily
3: clear.
4: Let is going to win it for Donica and Joseph.
3: Fairyland lifts the chiefly pot, Ten sovereigns. Still unbeaten, wins the middle part. Sergei Prokofiev, though, strides on. That is a great performance. Donoghro Bras on Magna Grisha.
4: And Broome is going to extend winning ways. Stradivarius and Q
3: Gardens. Q Gardens fight back and may have won. And Magical is going to cling on and win the Champions League.
1: Donoghro at the champion. Well, if those were your edited highlights of a 20-year career, you'd be happy enough. Let alone, <laughs> let alone if you're a, as young a man as Donica O'Brien, who is switching his attentions now from riding to training. Donica, good morning. Morning, Nick. How are you? I don't know if you were watching that, but it was a very nice highlights reel. Is there one that stands out?
9: Um, no, I didn't get a chance to see it, but um, <laughs> it was um, all I'm your good sure bits. It's yeah. all
1: your good bits. That's all you need to know. And Oaks and okay. Irish Derby. The yeah. Yeah, I suppose the Irish Derby or
9: something like that. Um, maybe my first classic on and, um and then I suppose the Champions Day in in, um, in Ascot um, recently. I suppose they're the ones that would stand out.
1: And is it is it simply a question of you getting a little a little too big and too heavy to to ride anymore, or is there, is there another driving factor in the switch?
9: Um, it's, it, I suppose it's a combination of things. Um,
1: um, weight was never easy. It, I, I wouldn't have said. I, I think I could have
9: rode another year with my weight. I don't think it wasn't. Um, it wasn't the case I couldn't do it anymore. I think it was more the case of, um, of a lot of um, nice and um, valuable horses under my care I think it would be injustice to them if, if I wasn't there looking after them full-time
1: um, like I was um, last year. So just tell me a little bit about your, the, the setup that you're, you're going to have now. Um, well, I'm, at, I'm based at um, uh, David Watchman's
9: All Yard in Longfield, um, mm-hmm. so it's, um, I, I have just um, about 25 boxes so, um, and uh, a, a few nice, nice yearlings and, and I'll have um, one or two old horses as well. So it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very nice facility and
1: um, I'm very lucky to be um, allowed to use it. And obviously your elder brother Joseph has gone from um, zero to however many hundred in a very, very short space of time and has trained a, a stack of winners, many of whom uh, you've ridden. How instrumental have you been in, in helping him with, with his outfit? Um I'd say I wasn't instrumental at all
9: <laughs> I, never, I, I never um I never rode out up there. I never had anything to do with the pace. The only time I rode them was when they ride on the track or, or if they walked away or something like that so um I had um next to nothing to do with his operation bar riding around on the track
1: to be honest. but you have been obviously heavily involved in in what's been going on at, at Ballydoyle Doyle as well Did, <laughs> has has training horses always been the ultimate goal ever since you were yeah ever since you can remember yeah well, um I think I, I kind
9: of always accepted I was going to eventually get too heavy to ride on the flat. um riding over jumps is not something that interests me a whole lot. so um you know the only thing I know anything about is horse racing, so the only thing i could, I could really go into training, so I suppose it was always going to be um
1: be the next step once once I got um once I finish my um, my, my riding career. And just give give me a, a flavor of, of of the the type of horse that you that you're going to start off with. Um, well, look, I suppose the you know the
9: the the one people might know a bit about is Fancy Blue. I had her last year, so um, she's um, she's um, um, being aimed kind of towards. Uh, well, look, we'll see. She mightn't she mightn't be good enough, but I suppose he'd be dreaming about classics with her. Um, and then I've seen um, you know nice yearlings, so I've bought myself um, some cool more ones and, and some that mum has bred. So um, you know, a combination of things like that.
1: And who's going to ride for you, uh, Donica?
9: Um, I, I don't know really, I suppose, with the cool ones, I'll be using all the cool lads, and uh, um, obviously Ryan, Jamie, Wayne, all, all, all those lads, uh, and then um, I, I'll see after that, I think um, Gavin Ryan might be coming to me um, as an apprentice um, in the new year, so he's he's a, he's a good rider as well, So, uh, but um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good riders around in Ireland, so I'm sure I won't be uh, left wanting.
1: And obviously, Joseph's done very well under under both codes. And both your parents were uh, brilliant jumps trainers. Before they turned their attentions to the flat. Will you be training training under both codes?
9: No, I'll be I'll be concentrating on, on flat for now. Uh, I'm I, I not quite looking too far down the line, but i um, You never know in the future whether I'll have a horse that would suit go jumping. And um, I think on my license, I've filled out to, to get the jumping one as well, so I can do that if I if I have a horse that would suit. But um, I think I'll concentrate mainly on the flat.
1: And will you still be? Will you still be in the saddle? Are you still going to be riding out? Are you still going to be sort of very active in that regard?
9: Yeah, um, I probably. You know, when you're riding out, you can't really see the rest of the horse on yeah, sure. the lap, so it's not. It's not exactly an effective way of training. But and, you know, for the where, uh, for the, um, after Sundays, there were obviously a lot of stuff. Yeah.
0: Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Cruel Dubai.
1: You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.